Hi, my name's Tori Walker, and you're listening to The Livia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. This is episode 28. Well, as you probably have guessed, I love a good story. I love hearing people's stories. I love connecting with them by finding out where they've come from, what makes them tick, what they're thinking about. I find it increases my understanding of people and helps me love them better, actually. I especially love it when I can hear the stories of people who I wouldn't otherwise get to meet or talk to. So if I hear on a podcast or on the radio, yeah, it does increase my empathy and understanding for other people's life situations, especially when they're quite different to mine. Well, in today's episode, I get to chat with someone who is also pretty passionate about people's stories. Joni is a writer and she loves writing about people and writing their stories. And she's had an idea to bring the stories of refugees in Australia into the hearts and minds of people who read her work, really with the aim of breaking down barriers and helping people understand what refugees in Australia experience, what they might, where they might have come from and why they make the decisions that they've made. Um, it's a really great endeavour because I think as a Christian, we want to be gracious and compassionate like our gracious and compassionate God. And so whatever your thoughts are on refugees worldwide or Australia's refugee policy or the UN Human Rights Convention or you're confused about the whole thing, whatever you're thinking, if you're trying to think further about this issue, being gracious and compassionate is surely something that as Christians we want to grow in. And so whatever your views, I think this project is actually going to be really helpful. Here's Joni to tell us more about it. Hello, this is Joni. Hi, Joni. It's Tori. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Good. Is now a good time to chat? Yes. Excellent. Very good. Joni, welcome to the Lydia Project. Thank you for coming on and being my guest today. Thanks for having me. Tell me how you came to faith in Christ. Okay, so I grew up in a Christian home, but I guess when I was a teenager, some probably difficult things went down and I I guess I came out of my teenage years feeling pretty confused and broken and just kind of wondering where God was in the hard stuff. So um, I ended up getting married, having kids and throughout that I had really tried to find my own relationship with God. I never doubted that he existed but I had really struggled to find him for myself. So I remember when my kids were little, um, I basically got to the point where I said to God, respectfully, (laughs) I was quite nervous, but I said to him, I'm really sorry, but I can't find you. If you want to have a relationship with me, you're going to have to come and find me. I was really nervous, but I felt like I tried everything. So that started a um it was probably the best thing i could have done actually looking back and it started a journey of about two or three years of god revealing himself to me in really small gentle ways so things like a sunset or it was like he was just speaking to me really gently in really small um ways so i think he probably knew that i had some trust issues 
and I just needed him to be that gentleman, I guess, who wasn't forceful and basically just slowly waited until I was ready. And then, yeah, so that was probably about 10 years ago. And it, I can't remember the moment where it was like, oh, I'm a Christian. I love God. I know him now. It wasn't, there wasn't a moment. There's not a date where I can say, yep, that's when I came to know God for myself. It was more like a organic, natural relationship growth, if that makes sense, where now he is just everything and I know that I can trust him and I know that he's got my back, you know, all the time and that he's fine with my messiness and you know, all my imperfections, I feel like um, that slow journey really um, solidified that for me. So that's how, yeah, that's how I came to know Jesus. So, Joni, you live in a beautiful part of the world. Tell me a bit about it and why you love living there. So I live out in the Hawkesbury region, which is kind of northwest of Sydney. Um, Yeah, I love it out here. I feel like it's a great place to raise a family. We've got three children aged 11, 12 and 14 and um, so it's basically a rural lifestyle out here with a close-knit community, you know, farmers markets and you know the local barista and I love that about it but um, at the same time Sydney's only an hour away so we often go in there to see festivals or Vivid or I also think it's great um, you know, the kids are getting to the age where they're starting to think about what they want to do after school and at least this way maybe they'll stay home rather than (laughs) travel into state for university. So my mother heart is happy about that. Yeah, I love it out here. Oh, that's great. (laughs) Now you are in the middle of a project uh, bringing refugees' stories to life. Tell me what started you on that track. Sure. So... I guess a few years ago, I realised that I didn't personally know anybody who'd come to Australia for safety, whether they be refugees or asylum seekers or on some sort of sponsorship visa. And because of that, there were a lot of things that I just didn't understand. I felt empathy towards refugees, but I was probably a bit nervous about it, um, felt a little bit out of my depth. And so my mum raised us on classic literature. So she always used to remind us about what Atticus Finch said in Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird. That famous quote, you never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. Mm -hmm. And I really felt like if I was going to be able to have any positive impact in this, I guess you could call it, refugee situation when we've got so many displaced people around the world, I was going to have to do that. I was going to have to get to know them and hear their stories and sit in that pain and sadness for a moment to start to, you know, understand them. So I started interviewing people who were kind of in the outer circles, people who knew, people that I knew. I guess in a bid to... I wanted to get to know them, but then I also wanted to be able to give other people an opportunity to get to know them and to hear their side of the story. I feel like it's a little bit dangerous when we only hear our news and information from media. I feel like 
it's really important to buffer that a little bit with the real life stories, which haven't been hopefully put through too much of a filter. Yeah, so that I started interviewing them and getting to know their stories and it just kind of evolved from there. It's about real people, isn't it? Like at the end of the day, there's, yes. there's, there's policy and there's reactions, which are all yep. important and necessary, but you, yeah, you don't want to lose sight of the people who are actually being affected by all that, do you? No, and I think that's one thing which really changed in me through this process. I mean, I remember chatting with a young woman called Yelena, who I interviewed for the Refugee Project, and she is a Serbian who was born in Croatia. So many of us will remember back in 1999 when NATO was bombing that area of the world. And as terrible as it sounds, I even hate saying this now, but back then in 99, it was just another headline to us, to me, you know, because we get so many international headlines and we just get the quick facts and the quick numbers. And it's important to know that those details are really important. But when I spoke with Yelena about what that day was actually like for her as a nine-year-old, it changed everything. So she lived her first nine years in refugee camps scattered throughout Europe. So she had a really solid, tight-knit family, but they just had to keep fleeing for their lives. So on the 24th of March in 99, she, it was actually her ninth birthday. And because they'd been displaced throughout her entire life, she'd never actually had a birthday party until she was really excited. All her little friends were going to come over and they were going to have a little tea party. So they'd hung streamers and they'd put out flowers and little paper cups. And she was really excited. They'd done baking and lollies, you know, all the stuff that we do that we can really take for granted. And it was, but this was the first time for her. So she'd been out on the patio setting it all up with her mum and then basically she said the ground began to shake, the sky went an eerie white colour and they just had to run. They had to run and find shelter wherever they could find it, um, you know, and the party was completely forgotten. She spent the rest of the day, I'm pretty sure it was in a bomb shelter and they lost countless amounts of friends and family members that day and for me it was heartbreaking because from a nine-year-old girl then every single year when it was her birthday she just felt so guilty because she was a kid and she wanted to celebrate her birthday but all these people around her had lost all these loved ones and it took her a really long time pretty much until she was an adult I think she said her 18th birthday was the first one that she felt like she could actually celebrate without feeling guilty. And the experience of, you know, sitting across from this beautiful woman who, you know, she's in her 20s now and that memory still brings up emotions for her. Those kinds of experiences mean that when I hear the news headlines now, I don't just, I can't just digest it you know, so easily as I probably used to, because now I realise 
I may not know the people behind the headlines. I may not be able to see their faces. I may never even hear their stories, but that they are there. You know, it's taken away that kind of whitewash statistics and numbers and move on to the next thing. That's a really big thing that's happened for me um, in this project and which I'm hoping will happen for the people who are reading the project and who are a part of the project. Just hearing you tell that story, it just, because her experience was so normal, just wanting to have yeah. friends over for a birthday party, it just brings it so close, doesn't it, that, you know, this could happen here, it could happen to me. I mean, yep. you know, geopolitically it won't probably, but I know what you mean, like it, it brings it really close and helps you to identify with people who've been through really, really traumatic things like that. And Absolutely. Thank you. thank you for sharing that. So how did you actually find the people that you wanted to interview? Well, it was really interesting. I just started talking about it to the people that are in my, you know, my friends and everybody would say, oh, I know somebody that you could chat with. And so Yelena worked with a friend of mine. So that's how that worked. And then other people um, were friends of a friend of a friend. But I think... I felt really privileged because to them I was basically a stranger and they trusted me with their story and I definitely felt the weight of that responsibility. Mm. So you've written that when we take the time to share our story and to hear the stories of others, that this is the place where grace is found. Can you tell me mm. a bit more about that? In my own life, I have found that... If I'm going through a difficult, difficult season, say, um, you know, with mental health or in a marriage or relationship or anything, you know, that we all struggle with, it's made so much harder if I think that I'm the only one who's ever had this struggle. And I feel like I spent most of my life thinking that I was the only one who struggled with anxiety or I was the only one who had troubles in my marriage or you know, wasn't the perfect parent. And then through the process of starting to share my own story, I realised, oh, there are so many other people out there who have had similar experiences to me. And I realised how much healing it brought to me, hearing their stories, but then also sharing my stories with them and hearing my stories resonate with them. Mm. And I really found that not only does it bring healing, I mean, Me Too is such a slogan at the moment. So I'm when I say Me Too, I'm not just talking about, you know, the issues that are public at the moment with sexual abuse and things like that. I'm just talking about throughout life when we have those Me Too moments. It's really powerful to heal us, but it also enables us to have grace for other people. So say with the Refugee Project, for example, there is a lot of fear, a lot of probably anger. There's a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of politics around whether we should have refugees in Australia, how many we should have, all that sort of thing. And while the Refugee Project is not political, I don't have a bent on it at all, um, it's more just about the stories, It, I feel like once we read their stories, it is a lot easier to have grace for people that we don't understand because we see ourselves in it. I feel like to be vulnerable with our stories and with our 
wins and losses and vulnerabilities and strengths, I feel like that is extending the hand of grace to each other. You know, none of us are perfect. None of us are going to live up to our ideals. But if we can just put that hand of grace out and say, yep, I know it's hard and I've struggled as well or, you know, you're not the only one, let's do this together. I just feel like that's a really powerful thing which happens when we share our stories. Mm. And I'm guessing there's probably a big connection with um, not internally judging others. <laughs> I'm talking from my yes. personal experience. But when you, yeah, when you can be vulnerable and when you hear about others' reasons for doing things, well, I find it easier to love people when I know them better, but mm. also far, far less prone to being judgy about why they might have said or done something. Exactly, because it seems to be just a natural human response to judge what we don't understand. Mm. And I I remember just being so annoyed with myself about that, mm. just thinking, you can't, why are you so judgmental? And I did find that the process of hearing people's stories really helped that because it takes away the misunderstanding, I guess. Mm. So I'm guessing that it's also helped you um, abound in compassion in ways that you probably didn't think you were capable of. Um, I, I'm just trying to imagine your experience of hearing story after story and uh, growing in your compassion for people and for different situations. Um, has that been your experience a little bit? Seeing it from someone else's perspective, it's pretty hard not to just go, oh, my gosh, this is so much harder for them than I ever imagined. I mean, this is an example, and it's such a small example, but it really spoke to me. I remember I was in Bankstown, um, which is a suburb in Sydney, interviewing a Vietnamese couple called Duke and Hoa. They came to Australia on a boat after the um, Vietnam War and they were so beautiful. I mean, they had the most amazing stories and they were so generous. They took me out for lunch and gave me some traditional Vietnamese lunch and it was just, it was such a great experience. But I remember standing on the main street and looking around and feeling so, I don't even know what the word is, so out of place I was basically I was looking around trying to find somebody that looked like me and I couldn't see anyone I, and then I saw oh there's somebody who has blonde hair but I realized it was a Vietnamese lady who had bleached her hair and I realized oh to feel like the only one who looks this way it's a really um, disheartening feeling and I mean, you know, half an hour later, I jumped in the car and drove home and it doesn't even compare, but I feel like those small experiences give us a tiny insight into what the daily struggles are like for people who are different in so many ways. Has your faith impacted on the way that you've gone about this, do you think? I mentioned a little bit about my story of coming to faith and interviewing these people and interviewing you know different people whether they be refugees or not throughout my career as a writer I've really come to understand that God is so comfortable with our mess 
and he's there in it. Yeah, I know in my own life when I've been in the messiness of, you know, life and days where I just think, oh, my gosh, what's going on? But God's there and he's not expecting us to put up this lovely facade and pretend that life is great and wonderful and, yes, I've got it all together, you know, I'm shiny Christian. He's not actually after that. And that's what's really impacted me um, interviewing these refugees. It's not about having a shiny, perfectly finishing, happily ever after story. It's just about the fact that he's there with us. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes it really sucks, but he's there and he's willing to get his hands dirty with us. And I just love that about him. You're obviously passionate, Jamie, about people and the stories that they have um, and the stories behind their stories. Why do you think stories are so powerful for us? Why do they resonate? Why do they change change people? I think they change us because we can see a little bit of ourselves in them. So the story about Yelena and her ninth birthday party, I can't, as a mother, to young girls, I can't help but think about Yelena's mother and the fact that she wasn't able to give her daughter that birthday party. And I think that's when it changes us because, I mean, we are probably inherently selfish, you know. (laughs) You know, we're looking at the world from our own perspective and when we see ourselves in someone else's story, first of all, I think it helps us to be more at peace with our own story and our own self, but it also helps us to be more at peace with other people as well, just to be able to understand them a little bit more. I think that's why stories are so powerful. I mean, right from the beginning of time, you know, you can read through the Bible and testimony was so powerful. And that's basically what it is. Testimony is telling your story. This is what happened to me and I think my story can help you I hope it can help you you know it's the age-old tool of healing you know yeah and I wonder too I mean I'm not sure about this but I wonder whether to it taps into something really deeply in how we're made that you know that I mean the story of creation the story of God's love for us the story of the whole Old Testament pointing to Christ and you know, him redeeming us, it, it is one big story that we get caught up mm. in and I wonder whether somehow, you know, stories are so powerful because God's made us that way to be affected by by his great story of his love for us. Yeah. Maybe you can do some more thinking on that one. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, good you, thought though, I like it. You're the, you're the writer. Um, now, <laughs> Where do you hope your refugee project might end? What are your what are your hopes and dreams and goals for it? The goal is to publish it in book form because these are stories that are just they're really powerful and I guess I would feel like my job was done if people read them and perhaps were encouraged to step outside of their comfort zones and get to know the people in their world who might be a bit different, whether they be refugees or just from a different 
um, circle, it doesn't really matter. It's a universal concept. If the stories could encourage, say, the mum down the road to invite the other mum who wears a burqa, you know, invite her to the park with the other mums or, you know, if someone decided, okay, so my neighbour has a really thick accent, it's hard to understand them, but I'm going to make an effort and I'm going to invite them over for a cuppa and I'm going to have a conversation and get to know them. If the stories could encourage readers to actually deliberately go out of their way to make a connection, I'd be happy. I'd feel like the project had done its job. Where could people read more about the stories of the people you've been talking about today and the other people that you've interviewed? I have a blog, which is wordsbyjoni.wordpress.com and socials as well. So Twitter, Instagram and Facebook are all Words by Joni. Now, just to finish off, I'd love to ask you, at the moment, what is helping you stand firm in Christ? I hate to repeat myself, but it really is just the fact that Jesus is comfortable in my mess. I love the fact that with him, I don't need to put up a facade. And, you know, if I'm having a hard day, I can say that to him. I love that he is not expecting me to have it all together or to have all the answers, but just be where I'm at. And I feel like there's always hope in that if Jesus is there. So really that's, yeah, that's where I'm at with him and that's what keeps me coming back to him every day. Beautiful. Joni, thank you so much for chatting with me today for the Lydia Project. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. It's been heaps of fun. And for those of you who stay listening for the little extra snippet that sometimes gets added into the end of these podcasts, I have some great news. The Lydia Project has been successful in obtaining some funding from the Anglican Deaconess Ministry and we are really looking forward to putting this towards getting some improved recording equipment and getting some help with the editing so stay tuned for some slightly better quality podcasts and if we are successful in the second round of funding um, stay tuned for a more relaxed me who will have more help with the editing as well thanks for listening bye